good to see you back on a Sunday night. Appreciate you making the time and the effort to come back and study God's Word together. We're going to actually work from two passages tonight, so if you have a paper copy of the Bible, you can stick your finger in one place and hold it, and we're going to, we're going to move around a little bit. We'll be in uh, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14 for just a moment, and then we're going to go over to Psalm chapter 1 and begin there. And really, our thoughts tonight are simply uh, titled the message, Two Roads. Life is full of choices, and some of them are fairly inconsequential. Do I have the loaded baked potato or the curly fries? Doesn't really matter. Same calories, same starch. Just how, you, how do you like your calories, okay? I happen to like a loaded baked potato with all the stuff in it, you know, the, the sour cream and the butter and the little green things and, the, you know, and the bacon bits and, you know, all, uh, whatever all that stuff is, I just go bring it loaded and they bring it. And uh, I, I don't know, sometimes... I don't know how I get off on this, but sometimes when you get a, a baby potato, it's little, and you're almost disappointed. You're like, man, maybe I should order two, right? <laughs> but if you go to Ruth Chris, if you've ever been there and you order a baby potato, that bad boy is a pound. <laughs> it's big, and they say right on the menu, it's a pound. That's what baked potatoes are to look like. It's one of those. Choices in life can be of no real consequence. Do I, you know, buy this car or that car? Do I live here or there? But some are, some are more consequential. Some of them have lifelong impacts, decisions that we make. And uh, one of them that comes to mind is when you get married. I mean, who you marry, uh, that's who you have. And that's who God intends you to have for the rest of your life. And so that's, that's consequential, right? I mean, you want to pray about that. And you want to think about that. Uh, jobs are like that. You know, God, we tend to think, I know how we think, especially guys, you know, I'm going to get a job, I'm in charge, but no, we really ought to pray about those things, you know, God, what would you have me do in life, where would you have me do it at, uh, so those are consequential choices, but we know, you know where this goes, the most important decision a person makes in life is spiritual, everything else pales in comparison, everything else is, is inconsequential in comparison to what we do with our soul, how do we how do we deal with our sin? And really, you know, the, the eternal destiny is determined by what we do with Christ, our decision. As we said this morning in the message, you know, do we, do we accept God's offer or do we reject it? Jesus described that decision spiritually <clears throat> as two roads, a broad road and a narrow road, okay? And so I want to look at that first. Look at Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Now, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Verse 14, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few that find it. That would be, that would be a solemn passage, no matter what, but the fact that Jesus said it, I think, makes it even more impactful. Think about what Jesus said here, and let's think about it for a moment. He said there are two roads, two gates and two roads. It's metaphorical for two choices in life, two paths, spiritually. The spiritual path through the broad gate and through the wide road or the broad road 
is one of sin and death. It's one of destruction. I would describe that road as a, as a road that is characterized by rebellion, the, the sinful rebellion of man's heart and self-centeredness. And I'm going to do life my way no matter what God says. That's that road. That's that road. I would characterize that road as secular humanism. We can solve our own problems. Science can solve. I, I never get over the fact that I read a secular humanistic article where he said science has all the answers to our problems. And I thought, what universe are you living in? I mean, what planet are you living on? I mean, just, just the eyeball test, if you look around and you aren't religious at all, you go, something's wrong. Right? I mean, you can't, you can't help but look around. So I would characterize this broad, this wide gate and this broad road as a secular humanistic worldview. I would also characterize that broad road as one of atheism and agnosticism. The only way you look around in the world and come up with a secular humanistic view is if you deny the existence of God. Deny the existence of one who created us and created and controls the universe. In any other iteration of spirituality apart from God being, being the one who's solely responsible and, and controls everything is wrong. There are people who will tell you, well, you know, God created and he wound it up and he let it go like a clock. And he just stands back and watches. That's not what my Bible says. My Bible says God is intimately involved with his creation. He's intimately involved with you. And with me. So this broad road would be atheistic and agnostic. This, this road is maybe also paved or part of what we might not think of being so bad, but spiritual complacency. People who aren't really opposed to God, people who aren't really, you know, bent on wickedness or evilness, they're just getting pushed along with the crowd on the big road. They're just, they're just kind of complacent, you know? Maybe they heard the message from a pastor somewhere and it touched their heart, but just complacent. You know, no big deal. I'll deal with that sooner or later. Better not do it too much later. It's also a road I would put spiritual procrastination. I wonder how many people will be in hell who said, I'll get saved one day. I would think a lot. Procrastination. When I, I teach classes online sometimes, I, I tell my students, the thing that will eat your lunch is procrastinating on your assignments because I will take the late penalties. And they just love me for that. You know, there's a serious late penalty spiritually. If you wait around and you don't get saved, it's too late. You lose all the points and you go directly to hell. So that's a broad road, isn't it? And, and, and everybody, uh, everybody who's on that road they're just muddling along, thinking life's all good. But Jesus said the end of it is destruction. Matter of fact, he described the characteristic of it two ways. It leads to destruction. I would suggest that's now and later. I'm sure this is true for you as it is for me. I have seen people, my older brother being one of them before he died, I would go long periods of time with not seeing him. He would be living in South Carolina, and then I would go see him. And I never said this to him because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. But he was only five years older than me. And before he died, he looked like death warmed over walking around. You know what that is? That is sin bringing destruction in this life. It was wearing him out. 
and he couldn't even see it. Jesus said that broad road is a road to destruction. Young people, adults who get on that road and, and, and pursue that kind of life, sin has consequences here and now. It destroys families, it destroys homes, it destroys lives, it destroys health. Jesus said that's a road to destruction. Then ultimate destruction is to die and die without Christ and die in one's sins and, and, and have eternal destruction, eternal separation from God. And may we be reminded, and again, I know you are the Sunday night crowd, destruction does not mean annihilationism. Destruction doesn't mean that when a person dies and they are separated from God forever that they cease to exist. No, the Bible's very clear. There is eternal existence in a place of punishment where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth forever and ever and ever. So Jesus clearly says that road leads to destruction. Secondly, the most ominous thing Jesus said is he said, many choose that road. Many choose that road. That, that road's crowded. That road's popular. I wrote down some reasons why it's so popular. Number one, it's attractive. The broad road and the wide gates attractive to the flesh. Satan makes sure of that, doesn't he? Satan hangs the carrot out there and says, hey, get on this road. This road's fun. This is the party road. This is the road where we have a good time. I've had young people look me in the face and say, all I want to do is have a good time with my friends. And I say to them, life is so much more than that. Okay, life is so much more than that. Jesus would say to them, life, life is so much more than that, okay? But Satan makes it attractive. Secondly, the reason so many people are on the road to destruction, Satan makes it easy. It's easy. I remember the, the country preachers that I grew up under. They were some godly men. And they had these sayings that I never forgot. They said, any old dead fish can float downstream, takes a live fish to swim upstream. You know, as a kid, I went, that's pretty good. You got, you know, you got to be a live fish to swim upstream. You know, Satan makes that broad road easy. Just get on it and float along. Just get on it and move along with the crowd. No big deal. In fact, Satan is a master at lulling people into a false sense of security. I'm with the crowd. We must be right. Numbers make right, doesn't it? I mean, we're the majority. I know God's a majority of one. You need to remember that, okay? He's a majority of one. But he makes it easy. Thirdly, he makes that crowd that goes down that road very influential. They're very persuasive. They really draw people in, you know. Oh, you're going to enjoy this lifestyle. Come hang out with us. All who take that road will regret it one day. Jesus said it leads to destruction. But then Jesus said there's another road. The gate to get in that road is a little smaller. And that road's a little more narrow. And he said not a lot of people go on that road. The narrow gate and the, and the narrow road is the road of righteousness. It's the road of salvation. It's the path that you walk when you get saved. Now make sure you understand this. In religious exercise, going on the narrow road doesn't mean you're saved. You get saved by faith in Jesus, and he puts you on the road, okay? He points you through the gate. And by the way, Jesus is the gate. Amen. He's the gate. And so when you get Jesus, you're on the road, okay?
okay? But notice what Jesus said about it. This is a road where sin is forgiven. This is a path where, as we learned this morning, it's not remembered anymore. This is a road of unmerited love, of, of, of unconditional love. This is a road where, where God breaks into our life and there's the peace of God and there's the joy of God and there's joy unspeakable and there's on this road an unshakable hope. And notice this, those things are not dependent on life's experiences because God puts you on that road and when you get on the narrow road, you know there ain't nothing on the broad road that you want once you get on the narrow road. That's how Jesus described it. Now, now listen to what he said. He said it's, it's difficult. Well, that almost seems incongruous, doesn't it? You think, man, here's a path of joy and hope and peace and love and forgiveness of sin. What does Jesus mean when he says that it's difficult? Well, because it's opposite of everything the world believes. It's opposite of this whole world system. That, that narrow road, stand, listen, that narrow road stands as a conviction for everybody who sees it and don't take it. You ever wonder why in your workplace or in the circle where you run in the world, why some people don't like you? You thought, well, I just thought they don't like me. No, they don't like you because your very presence and the fact that you live for Jesus and you pray over your food and you got a Bible on your desk and you talk about Jesus all the time, it convicts them. And it confronts them, and they don't like it. And you're the burr under their saddle blanket. They don't like it. That's why the road is hard. It's difficult. The world will oppose us as we walk that road. The world will challenge us. The world will try to draw us to partake in the things of the wide road when we're supposed to be on the narrow road. It will tempt our flesh and probably summing that whole thing up, Paul said we are in spiritual warfare every day. That road's hard. You walk with Jesus, it's not easy. Listen, getting saved is the easy step. It's the rest of your life that gets challenging because the Holy Spirit gets in there and starts messing around and shaking things up, right? So that narrow road's difficult, but finally Jesus said it leads to life. That's wonderful. Because at the end of that narrow road is life forever. And listen, it's just like destruction. It's not just then, it's here now. You know if you're saved that lost people don't really know what life's about, do they? They don't really know what life's about. They think their fun and all is life. They think all the things they do on the broad road is life. That's not life. Life is walking with Jesus. Life is having joy and peace with Jesus Christ. Life is, life is having a family and your children and your relationships all covered in Jesus, all, all part of the Christian family. I've told you all this many times. It probably wasn't the right thing to do, but I enjoyed doing it, so I'll just confess. I had sailors who worked for me, and they were lost. And they'd go out at night and stay up all night drinking and partying, and they would come to work the next morning and they looked like death warmed over, you know what I mean? They would walk into the shop, walking around with the whole pot of coffee, trying to wake themselves up, you know, drinking. And, and then I would have great joy when I would say to them, did you guys have fun? You don't look like you had fun. And they would say, well, it was fun last night, but it ain't fun right now. And I said, well, good, because guess where you're going? Up on the flight deck in the 98-degree weather, and you're going to work on airplanes until all these things are fixed. And you hear a, a, a collective groan as they knew they had to go up there in the sunshine and, and sweat all that stuff off. But listen, that ain't fun. 
It didn't look fun to me. I thank God I've never, I've never been drunk in my life on alcohol. Maybe Diet Coke, but not alcohol. <laughs> I've never been intoxicated in my life. But watching people who are doesn't look fun to me. Doesn't look fun. All the stuff that happens, the narrow road leads to life. Life now, goodness of life, fulfillment of life. And then finally, Jesus said at the end there, he said, and few find it. That's the saddest, that's the saddest part of this whole thing. Few find it. Why is it that so few find it? Is it hard to see? Is it hard to recognize? Is it because the gate's small? Is it hard to get in? No, it's not. Jesus is the gate. He says, come this way. Get out of that. Get off the big road and come this way. And you know what the problem is? People walk right by him. They don't even pay him no attention. How many people do you tell about Jesus Christ? I hope a lot. I can, I can tell you most the majority of them will say, well, that's nice. Thank you for sharing. And they go on about their life. What do they just do? You, you said, hey, here's an arrow gate. You go this way. They go, thank you. And they get on. They just keep walking down the, down the broad road. I invited a lady to church one time. She came. I wasn't preaching. Another guy was preaching. She came. Uh, I worked with her. She came. Great sermon, man. I mean, if I, if I wasn't already saved, I'd have got saved again. You know what I mean? It was a great sermon. And when it was over, I could hardly wait to go over and ask her what she thought and see, see if God had dealt with her heart. You know what her answer to me was? It really discouraged me. She said, that's a nice story. Thank you for inviting me. And she walked out the door. What, just, what happened there? Jesus standing there going, come to, come to the narrow road. Come in the little gate. And she's on the broad road. And she goes, thank you for inviting me. But no, I'll stay on this road. That's why so few go in. So few find it. Well, Jesus said there are two paths. Over in Psalm chapter 1, the psalmist described the life of the person on those roads, on the broad road and on the narrow road. So go over to Psalm chapter 1, and let's look at that for a few minutes. The psalmist here actually talks about those two paths, but he describes them from the perspective of those people who would walk on them, their character, the kind of lifestyle they would live. Now, if you're saved, you're on the narrow road. So what kind of things should be in our lives? And if we're not on the narrow road, if you're lost, this passage will tell you the kind of things that go on in your life. Look at verse 1. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. The saved man, the saved woman are on the narrow road. And these negative things identify what's not in their life, what's not indicative of them. These things you would find in the life of those walking on the broad road. So what does the psalmist say here? First, he said, the man or woman who's walking the narrow way, who have a relationship with God, they're blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? Well, more than just stuff. We're all blessed. Listen, if you were born and raised in this country, you're blessed. If you came here to have the things that we have here, you're blessed. You say, how do you know that? Because I've been around the world twice. I've lived abroad and I've seen what the rest of the world has. You are blessed. We are blessed. But it's more than that. If we're on the narrow road, if we're walking with God, it's blessing in this life beyond stuff. It's spiritual blessings. It's all that we talked about, the joy and the, and the hope that we have in Christ. It's more about our relationship with God. And you know this. 
If you have a right relationship with God, then all the relationships with the people around you will be right. That's important. Who likes a life full of drama and discord? Anybody? I probably should say this. Do you, does this ever happen to you? Sometimes you meet people, and they are a walk in drama. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to be kind. I mean, they start talking, and in 15 minutes, your head's swimming. You're like, I don't even know what to say. Listen, what a blessing to have a right relationship with God and have an adult, real-life relationship in the world with people who know what life's all about because they're walking with God. Doesn't that encourage you? Sure it does. Doesn't that lift you up? Which is part of the reason God said don't forsake the singling of yourselves together because you go out there in the world, drama, sin, chaos. Come in here, ooh, bunch of people that are like-minded, love Jesus, Holy Spirit's working. What a refreshment, right? So blessed is the man or woman who walks in a narrow road shoulder to shoulder with other people who are on a narrow road. Isn't that encouraging? Because as we walk on a narrow road and it's challenging, it's difficult, we encourage one another. And aren't we going to be happy when we get to the end of it? Because we're going to be there with Jesus. So blessed is the man or woman who walks on that road. I think of, I often think of Job in the book of Job. What an amazing fellow. That's all I can say. What an amazing fellow. You read about what he went through. But you notice when you read the book of Job, he never lost his trust in God. Now he had questions. Man, I, he, I'd have had more questions than him. He had questions. But he never blasphemed God and he never accused God and he never, he never broke his faith with God. Where did that come from? The blessedness of knowing God. And the blessedness of being sure in it. Now, he said here that the man or woman who is in God and, and is on a narrow road, they don't, they don't walk, stand, or sit uh, with those who are on the other road. Now, think about what he says. The word walk means the habit of our life, particularly spiritually. It means the things that we do with regard to God's word. What is the spiritual habit of our lives? I don't mean legalistically. Do we pray? Do we read the Bible? Do we meditate on the Bible, which it talks about here? Do we think about it? Do we pray and ask God the Holy Spirit to teach us? Do we ask God for wisdom? If there's one thing I ask God for, it's wisdom almost every day. Because there's so much in life that's hard. And so you ask God for wisdom. Look at what it says here. He walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. It means that the lifestyle of the child of God is not pressed into that of the worldly standards. It means we don't get, we don't get drawn in to the things of the world. We don't allow the world to advise us and we don't allow the world to influence us. I read articles and I read things and I, and I, and I do watch the news as much as I can stand. And I read what people write. And some of it's utter foolishness because they write out of a human understanding and they don't know God. And here's the point. A child of God doesn't let that stuff influence their thinking. 
We don't let the world inform our walk with God and how we should walk with God. We have one standard and it's that book. We have one Savior and he's the one who bought us. And we don't deviate from that. So the man or woman of God who are, who are walking, we don't, we don't let the world influence us. We don't walk with them in the counsel of the ungodly. Some illustrations. The world will tell us, the majority of people in this country will tell you that abortion is a woman's right. You can't tell her what to do with her body. I'm here to tell you that book says that's a living human being. And if you kill them, you just murdered them. Now like it, don't like it, get mad, whatever, whatever, the majority don't make right. And the world's thinking on that matter is wrong. Now let me say this. I know there are women who have had abortions, and they get saved, and some are in this church. God forgives, and what did we learn this morning? He don't ever bring it up again. So God forgives. Those things are forgiven, just as any sin I've committed, any sin anybody else has committed. But understand this very clearly. For our nation to legalize the murder of unborn children is wrong. It's wrong yesterday, it's wrong today, and it'll be wrong every day. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what the counsel of the ungodly is about the thing, because it's wrong. It isn't, it isn't personal, it's wrong. God said it's wrong. The society we live in today says that immorality of every kind, gender, confusion, and everything else is okay. There, there are kids going to school today who decide they want to be a rabbit for the day, and when they go to school, you got to act like they're a rabbit. And I'm not making that up. I read a thing today where a teacher said to use the wrong gender reference to a person who wants to be called something else is the same as an attack. Do you see where that's going, don't you? When we say the truth, they're going to go, you're attacking people and it's going to get ugly. But what I'm saying is those who are on the narrow road, we don't let them inform our thinking. If they want to think like that, if that's the way they see the world, then fine. But I'm not changing the way I see God's word and what he clearly says here, and neither should you for what the world thinks. We don't let them influence our thinking. Secondly, the writer said, nor does the man or woman of God stand in the way of sinners. That means we don't, we don't make allowances in our life to do things with them that God said don't do. We don't, we don't stand in the way that they walk. We respectfully decline to participate, things, participate in things that are either directly against God's word or will harm our testimony. I've told this story before. Nathan played Little League Baseball. And I, you know, like a good dad, I would be at every practice, every game that I could physically be at. And many times I would be sitting at the picnic table while he's playing with my books, sitting there reading. And I would be reading and go, get it, son. And I'd start reading again, you know. But the dads of the boys who played on the team, most of them weren't saved. And so they would say to me sometimes after the game, they would say, hey, you want to go with us? We're going we're gonna to go out. All the dads are going to go out. And what they meant by go out was we're going down to the bar and we're going to hang out for a while and have some drinks. And I remember having to tell them more than once, guys, I appreciate you inviting me. I really do. 
And I appreciate being here and hanging out with you, but no, thank you. And sooner or later, somebody asks me why I won't go. Then I tell them. And then they don't ask me no more. Matter of fact, many of them quit hanging out with me. They wouldn't even come talk to me. Okay? But the point is, if you're on the narrow road, you don't want to go over there and act like you're on the broad road. Right? You don't want to do that. The military was the same way. The officers would have a dining out. The XO, the CO, and everybody, and you kind of expected to go to these things, and it's a dinner. You get dressed, you go out to dinner. But do you know what everybody wants to do after dinner? They want to start walking around this town we're in overseas and hitting every bar on the way back to the ship. And so I told the XO, I said, sir, I will go to the dinner. One of the nice things about being a supply officer is I owned all the vehicles. I had the keys to them all. And I would say, I'll drive the van and bring everybody to dinner. I said, but understand this, when dinner's over, I'm going back to the ship and the van's going with me. Do you get what I'm saying? So if you guys, you know, tie one on for the rest of the night, it's a taxi or you're walking back to the ship. And the exo said, I got it, simple, I understand. So, okay. You got to draw a line is what I'm saying. The, 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 the righteous man, the, the man or woman who walks with God, we don't stand in the way of sinners. And thirdly, we don't sit in the seat of the scornful. That's probably the most serious one. A scornful person is a person who's openly in opposition against God. They're blasphemous, and they stand against God. And you certainly, as a child of God, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. You don't want to hang out with them. You don't want to be around them. In fact, there are people that I have known in my life that I break fellowship with them, not because I'm trying to be mean or not because I don't, don't want to love them, but the things they choose to do and the lifestyle they choose to live is so absolutely opposed to my convictions and what I believe, I don't want to have anything to do with it. That's what he's saying right there. Now, verse 2, let's look at it from a positive perspective. But his delight, the saved man, the saved woman who's on that narrow road, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. The delight of the man or woman in Christ, the delight is the law of the Lord. The characteristics of a saved person is they delight in the word of God. They delight in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now let's just be honest. I don't enjoy the Holy Spirit whooping up on me. You probably don't either. But I know the end of it is good for me. And the benefit is wonderful. So yes, in a way I do enjoy it. In a way I'm glad that God is active in my life. And I'm glad that I, can, that I can delight in the law of God and what he commands us to do and what he commands us not to do. And what he wants us to do as men and women of God, the new birth, walking with him. And as we learned this morning, I want to honor God. I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to defile his name, and I don't want to lead people away from him. That's challenging. If you drive on Blanding, that's real challenging. You know? Yeah. I will confess, and I heard another priest say this, and when he was saying it, I was saying, I got you, brother. There are no stickers on my car that say, follow me to church, or there's no fish. There's no Oak Leaf sticker on there. I'm just confessing. There's no Oak Leaf Baptist Church sticker on there. Mm-mm. No. I'm, I'm not reached that level of sanctification yet. There is no, you know, you got to really be sanctified to have stickers on your car that say, follow me to church. I'm just telling you. Because think about it. One, you mess up one time, and they might follow you to church and go, I want to see who that guy is who was just yelling at me out the window, you know. 
And you got and listen, you got to really be careful on Sunday mornings because if somebody cuts you off and you get mad at them and they pull in the church parking lot with you, now you got to deal with it, right? Because <laughs> you just yelling at them on the road. Listen, I delight in God's law. I delight in his, what he teaches me, and I delight in the fact that, that I learn. This is true, beloved. And if you, if, as a child of God, if you don't find joy in reading the Bible, you really need to pray. Because there's nothing, and I mean there is nothing in this life, and I told you I read a lot of stuff, and some of it I'm saying kindly stuff, some of it's junk. I read, I read articles and journals, professional stuff, and some, and some people who write that stuff are confused, okay? They don't know God. To read that book and its purity, to read the Word of God and the pure truth of it, if you're a child of God, man, that feeds you like nothing else in the world. Amen. I mean, that just feeds your soul. And so, so we delight in the law of God. Um, the application is simply this. Every child of God... We should read the Bible, study it, listen to it, consider it. I listen to preachers in my car. I listen to their preaching. Man, they teach me. I've listened, I've listened to messages on passages I just preached not too long ago and how thrilled I was to hear them teach it. Still blesses my heart. So we need to listen, consider, study, read God's word. David said this. Let me read this to you. Psalm 119, verse 11, 16. King David said, Lord, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You want to walk right with God? Read the Bible. Listen to this. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Man, you get that? He's the king. David is. He said, Lord, I have, I have rejoiced in your word and the testimonies of your word as much as any riches that I have. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate on your ways. Boy, that's good. Do we take time in the busy life that we live in to meditate and contemplate what God says? Do we take the time to do that, or are we too connected to 30-second to or 90-second videos to actually use some brain cells to think about God's Word? Then he said, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your Word. Mm. Man, if you make that a pattern of your life as a child of God, you're on the right road, I'll tell you right now. Then he said, we love to meditate on God's word. Meditate means to consider. Think about what you read. Think about what you heard. The best way I can illustrate it is I, I'm, a, I'm a doctoral chair for people who want to become doctors. So they send their stuff to me and I read it. And they're supposed to synthesize information. They're supposed to take all these scholarly sources and, and synthesize it and summarize it in the thing that they're researching. And what we get a lot of times is an is a annotated bibliography. They list all these sources and they just say what it is. And when we have to send it back to them. I have to send it back to them and say, hey, if at the end of this thing you want people to shake your hand and call you doctor, you've got to do something else with that. You gotta, you gotta like synthesize the stuff, which requires, listen, you have to read all that stuff. Think about it. Synthesize means put it together in your brain and give it back to me with relation to the project, your research project. Now let me make the application to the Bible. To meditate on God's word, you know what you have to do? 
what, Professor Wall, do I have to do? You have to read it, then you have to synthesize it in your brain. You have to let the Holy Spirit teach you, and then you make application to your life. See how it works? I would suggest, just my observation, we got lazy Christians in the church today. We have lazy Christians. They don't do that. They don't want to take time to do that. You know why? Because their time's consumed everywhere else. You gotta do it. You gotta do it. I, I don't I'm not I don't do this perfectly, and I'm telling you, the preponderance of my mornings, the overwhelming preponderance, is thirty to forty minutes in my office before I do anything else. And in that thirty or forty minutes I'm praying and I'm reading and I'm thinking. You know why I do it early in the morning? Because that's the freshest my brain is all day. Because after lunch, it gets tough. After lunch, you got to put Q-tips in your eyes, like to hold them open and think. But probably the first four or five hours of the day, starting at 6 a.m. or earlier, my brain is firing on all the synopsis things are cooking in there, right? And so I can read stuff and think about it. When I write sermons, I might work on them in the evening. Honest to goodness, God knows it's true. The next morning, I go to read them, and I think, what in the world is that? I do. I mean, I, I, I read it, and I go, what was I thinking? Who wrote that? You know, and so then I spend the first two hours the next morning fixing all that mess, whatever I wrote the night before, okay? That's what he's saying right here. And, and I can't, I, this Sunday night crowd, and I don't know how to say it any stronger, if you want to grow in your Christian faith, you want to grow in your walk, you want to grow in your spiritual maturity, you want to know God more intimately, which should be the desire of every child of God, you got to know his word. you got to read it. you got to understand it. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to do all that stuff. Now, if you want to, I know, I know lay men and women who will never be pastors or in the ministry, and they go to seminary. Man, if God moves you to do that, you are too. Because you will learn, okay? And you'll learn in an academic way. But God doesn't require that. Just meditate on his word. Just think about it. Let the Holy Spirit make application. Let me show you one more thing. I got more, but we're going to be out of time. He illustrates this whole thing with a tree. The metaphor of a tree, okay? Look at verse 3. But it should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now I don't have time to fully develop everything I wrote down about this, but, but think about this. A tree that's planted needs water. It needs nutrition. There's no better place than to be planted by the river. Why? Because the roots are going to go down, and the water's there, and the nutrients are there, and the supplies are there, and the tree that's planted by the river, man, it grows. And, and it has some benefits. It, it brings forth fruit in its season. What does God want from us as Christians? Be fruitful Christians. Bear some fruit. Jesus said, I don't have time. You go home and read this, Matthew 7, 15 to 29. Jesus said, you know them by their fruits. Doesn't he? And he said, he said a bad tree can't bring forth good fruit, and a, and a good tree brings forth good fruit. And he said, in that day, people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all this stuff? And Jesus said, I didn't know you. Depart from me. 
if you're in Jesus, listen to me, he's planted you by the river. And the Holy Spirit brings into your life a river of living water that never runs dry. You get in the Word, and God will grow you. God will grow you. The Holy Spirit will grow you. And God will use you. Let me close. A lot of choices to make in life. A lot of choices. How much, how much time do I spend doing this? What do I do here? What do I do with my life? Do I set aside time in my day to pray? Do I set aside time in my day to read the Bible? Do those things ever get interrupted in my life? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. But I can confess to you right now, if I miss my prayer time in the morning, the rest of the day is messed up. It is for me, spiritually. It's messed up. Things just aren't right. Do you have your life ordered so that you can grow and walk on the narrow way? If you're watching online or, or you're here and you're not saved, that's the first step. Come in the narrow gate. Jesus is the gate. Come in and be on the narrow road. Be on the right road. Be on the road that leads to life. Let's pray. Lord, how applicable this is to our life, Lord. How, how important it is that we understand. God, we all fall short. We all, we all come short of what we ought to be and what we ought to do. God, we all lack understanding. God, you said if any man lacked wisdom, let him ask, and you would give liberally, and you wouldn't upbraid us for asking. God, I pray for us to have wisdom. I pray for us to have biblical wisdom, a biblical worldview and life. Pray, God, you help us to prioritize life. God, Holy Spirit, convict us about the things that are most important and what we should be doing with our time and our talents and our resources. God, if there's somebody here tonight who needs to get on the narrow road, Jesus, you're the gate that leads to life. I pray they would come to you right now, confessing their sin, and God, by faith, ask you to save them. Bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to Sherry Place. I'll be right here if you need help. I can pray with you. You come on the first verse. I cast all my care upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And any time that I don't know what to do. thank you for being here this evening. What a great week to go out and tell people about Jesus. Amen. Listen, we can tell them there's something to be thankful for. It's Jesus and the cross of Calvary. And let's remember that as we live our lives and meet people and get to interact with them. Guys, it's been a good day to be at church, hasn't it? Man, what a blessing. Just the friendship, the, the fellowship with the Lord and listen to the word, the singing. The, I'm just telling you that just God is so good to us and just want to thank you guys for being faithful. Let's remember this week to pray for Miss Mary Beth as she's going to be going into her surgery. Keep her in your prayers, and uh, we'll try to keep you up to date as we get news as the week goes on. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll be closed for the evening. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, thank you for Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary. Help us to be wise in the words we choose to interact with people. And Father, help us to lead people to God with the words that we speak. Father, I pray that you would just watch over us, guide, direct us. Many of us are going to be traveling over this week with the holidays. I pray that you would give safety. 
And Father, be with Miss Mary Beth. Comfort her heart. Be with her. Strengthen her. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.